This is a show about self-discovery. About understanding ourselves. About looking into the mirror to see the good. The bad. And the unknown of who we are. This is about how we relate to God. And everyone else. From Love Thy Neighborhood in Louisville, Kentucky. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to the Cast. Welcome to the Innycast. I am Jesse Eubanks, and joining me for the first time behind the mic is my co-host, Sam Stevenson. Hey! We are so excited to launch a podcast dedicated to a tool that changed both of our lives pretty profoundly, the Enneagram. So as most of our listeners know, I'm the executive director of Love Thy Neighborhood, an urban ministry, as well as the host of the Love Thy Neighborhood podcast. But before I ever launched that ministry or before I ever launched that podcast, I was just a guy working at a different ministry, and I came across this tool called the Enneagram. Now, we recognize that many of you are coming from all different kinds of walks of life, Some of you are young adults trying to figure out who you are for the first time. Yeah. And some of you found us because you were searching for Enneagram podcasts and we were just a new one that you'd never seen before. You may have never heard about Love Thy Neighborhood and you're just here to get all of the great Enneagram content that you're used to. Some of you guys might be soccer moms or business professionals. Or my mom and all my friends. Yeah. (laughs) Hi, mom. Yeah. Or you may have a ton of your friends and coworkers who are obsessed with the Enneagram and you're kind of annoyed at them, but you're also a little curious or skeptical or are kind of here reluctantly. Well, we're going to speak to all ends of the spectrum in this podcast. But the truth is this, no matter where you are or who you are, the bottom line is that like all of us, you are experiencing in some way in the relationships in your life, some level of struggle and discomfort and brokenness. And, you know, Relationships are hard. They are both the most rewarding and most difficult thing in our lives, the relationships that we experience. Yeah, the stakes are really high in all of our relationships. Relationships can make or break us. For better or for worse, the relationships make us who we are. And, you know, you may have some internal struggle where you're trying to figure out why do I keep running into the same conflicts with my friends and roommates or coworkers? What's going on with me? Is it all my fault or is it somebody else's? So you're just here kind of figuring out How can I make my relationships better? Yeah. And because, you know, you want better relationships, but you might be experiencing a sadness in some of your relationships or an anxiety and uncertainty. Maybe there's relationships where you feel that you have tried every tool at your disposal to try to find a way forward in that relationship. And you're just at your wits end and you're not sure where to go. And on top of that, we also have the issue of our relationship with God. Yeah. And what we oftentimes don't recognize is that our personality and who we are it impacts a lot of how we see and understand God and respond to him. Yeah, we often may, you maybe are in a season that you feel like you're doing everything that you can, all the right Christian things, you're checking all those boxes. I'm praying, I'm going to church, I'm doing a Bible study, I'm talking about things, but some something about it is still lacking or missing, or you feel like you're spinning your wheels in a direction that's not really tracking. And so what if the tools that you have and the ways that you've been relating are limiting the ways that you are able to experience the gospel, experience God's love in the fullest way possible? Well, the truth is this, is that Sam and I both, we understand understand because we have been there ourselves. You know, when I was first introduced to the Enneagram, it was because I was on staff
staff with a ministry. And even though we spent our days proclaiming the gospel of God's love for the world, behind the scenes, we were not getting along well at all. We were arguing all the time. We were frustrated with each other. We did. We got to a place where we didn't enjoy each other's company very wow. much. Yeah. And so that is when somebody brought this tool of the Enneagram to me, and it was like mind-blowing. It was like instantaneously I had this these insights into myself and my coworkers that I had never had before. Yeah, and so I would say for me, a similar uh, enlightening took place, but it was because of my service when Love Thy Neighborhood. When you come and serve with us at Love Thy Neighborhood, we do an Enneagram workshop. And so that was the first time that I had some exposure to to all of this material. And it's, it's overwhelming. It's enlightening, but it, it can become a lot, but it really was clarifying to see, oh, these are my shortcomings. These are the reasons why this kind of stuff keeps happening in my friendships. And it was super helpful to to be able to journey with that on my own and looking at my own story, but also to be able to get to know my roommates better and my friends and, and loved ones and family members through a different way. I can't imagine doing relationships now apart from the language that the Enneagram has provided me to, to say the things we've been thinking our whole lives, basically. Yeah, absolutely. Because, you know, the second time that I came across the Enneagram was actually in a season of my marriage that was really, really difficult. You know, my wife, Lindsay, and I were just having a lot of struggles. We were both pretty unhappy. We were talking past each other a lot. We were arguing a lot. And then sometimes we weren't arguing at all. It was just silence. And we came across this ministry called Crosspoint Ministry. And to be honest, those folks saved my marriage. They really helped me through a really difficult time of life. And the Enneagram had a lot to do with that because it gave me these insights into my wife and into myself that I'd never had before. And it helped me understand where is God in all of this. And I needed those additional tools. You know, my wife and I had tried every tool at our disposal and we were just out. We didn't know how to go forward anymore, but we wanted to figure it out. So out of that experience... You know, I've done a deep dive into the Enneagram. I've wanted to know as much about it as possible. And out of that, I was able to go and become certified as an Enneagram coach. And Sam, you also have been certified as an Enneagram coach. And so now, over the last five years, I've spent time teaching workshops around the country uh, to folks in all walks of life. And Sam has been doing the same. And so we're now, we're really excited to be able to bring some of the things that we've learned and some of the insights that we have uh, to you guys as we explain. Explore this together. And let me just say, a lot of the content in these coming episodes, there are brand new revelations, even for the two of us as we've gone through this material. Yeah, I think you guys are really going to enjoy the people that we've talked to and just the insights that they're able to share, not only with their own personal journey and and how they've kind of woken up to some of these things, but even just how they view the world. It's really been clarifying for me to hear okay, I'm not so alone in, in some of these things. The way, the way I present and process information is, I'm, yeah, I'm not the only one out there that, that has these struggles, that is reckoning with these things. I'm really grateful to have heard the wisdom from these people while I'm still in my early 20s to be able to to learn about myself because as we've been able to hear, the stakes are pretty high. If, if you don't kind of get some of the self-awareness stuff in check when you're young, it really does. It never goes away. Yeah. And what's fun too is just this, you know, Sam and I are slightly different ages. And so Sam is really able to speak to folks that are still like in their mid to early twenties and that season of life of like, who the heck am I? Right. Where's my place in this world? You know, I am, I am not that young anymore <laughs> and I am rounding the corner straight up into middle age. And, you know, I have a different perspective uh, and a different season of life that I'm working through. And so it's been it's been a lot of fun for us as we've thought through these things and talked through these things because we're coming from slightly different perspectives. In addition to the fact that we have different personalities, we also have different ages. Right. And it's we recognize that there may be people like me who are listening that are kind of coming into all this awareness for the first time. And I hope that over 
over the course of the season that you'll be able to resonate with whatever you are hearing from our guests. It's been really helpful to hear the profound wisdom that they've been able to share as a result of doing the work that they've done through the Enneagram. So our hope for you as you join us through each of these episodes is that you would come to a greater understanding of the Enneagram. What is it? What is it not? How can it help me? We also hope that you come to a greater understanding of who you are, have greater self-clarity so that you can be the same person in private as you are in public. We hope that you can come to a place where you have a greater understanding of those around you, greater clarity about who they are, how they tick, how you can love them, how you can serve them. But also, most importantly, we want you to have a greater understanding of who God is and the way that he is responding to you uniquely as his child. You know, no parent responds to every single one of their kids in the exact same way. And there is no difference in this between you and God. He responds to you in a very unique way. Yeah. So when we say that, we mean that, yeah, God's love, his overarching love, his gospel is is all encompassing the same love for me as it is for Jesse, for everybody else. But the way that we experience his love is particular based on the ways that the Lord has wired us. We really believe that the precursor to being loved is to being known. And so the the Enneagram helps us to know ourselves, to know our neighbors, to better love them and love the Lord through that process as well. So stay with us because when we come back, we'll be digging into the foundations of the Enneagram. We'll be right back. Hey guys, it's Jesse, and I hope that you're enjoying the first episode of Love Thy Neighborhood Presents the Enneacast, but it's not our first podcast. Our other podcast is called Love Thy Neighborhood. The Love Thy Neighborhood podcast explores the intersection of social action and Christian faith as we follow everyday people doing extraordinary things. So I found myself on the floor of a strip club. All right, Laura, did I miss something? Am I in your wheel? (laughs) Each episode centers around a single theme, such as racial reconciliation, gentrification, addiction, foster care, and more. And it interweaves field reportings, studio interviews, and first-person narratives based around that theme. Yeah, put me in a foster home, dummy. No one told us, like, don't go to jail. It's not cool. It's not good. You have 24 hours to leave this place or we're going to blow you up. I went home, couldn't sleep that night. He asked me, he said, do you identify as homosexual? So join me each episode as we explore how to follow Christ in word and deed in this day and age. Subscribe now wherever it is that you listen to podcasts. Just search for Love Thy Neighborhood or head over to our website at lovethyneighborhood.org slash podcast. Welcome to our corner of the urban universe. Hey, welcome back to the Enneacast. I'm Jesse Eubanks. And I'm Sam Stevenson. So we want to say this before we even get started on the foundations of the Enneagram, that Sam and I both had the pleasure and the benefit of being trained in the Enneagram by Crosspoint Ministry. We just want to say on the front side that a lot of what we're going to be discussing comes from Crosspoint, and we want to refer you there to do an even deeper exploration of these things. And you can learn more about those folks by going to crosspointministry.com. So let's start with this question. What is personality? Well, personality is the way that we perceive, the way that we process, and the way that we present. It's the way that we perceive, the way that we process, and the way that we present. So perception is all about 
how are we seeing the world? The way that we perceive the world, it is impacted by our personality, the way that we process. Two people can have the exact same experience and process that experience in entirely different ways. And then finally, the way that we present. We all express our personalities in a variety of different ways. You combine these three things, those three things compose our personality. Yeah, it's impossible to interpret the world apart from your personality. You know, I don't I don't know if it's like a nature versus nurture conversation, but it really is somewhere within us from the onset, pretty pretty developed, pretty pronounced, and it only evolves over time. Yeah, there is no way for me to experience every moment of my life apart from my personality. And there's no way for anyone else to do that either. Yeah, it's not like a jacket that we take on and off. It's like in our bones. And so when we talk about personality, we're going to use language called the true self and false self. And Jesse, tell us a little bit about what each of those are. Well, the true self is who we are in Christ. It's this idea, this reality. I shouldn't even call it an idea. This reality that um, there is a part of who we are that is completely unstained and untethered by sin, that we are completely set free, completely immersed in Christ. And every single one of us, our true self is a little different. You know, we all become our unique true selves in Christ. But the gospel means the good news. Well, it means that there's bad news too. Right. And the bad news is, is that there's also a false self mm-hmm. in all of us. And the false self is our, you know, our subconscious way of trying to save ourselves, of trying to fix our problems. And, you know, we develop these things as kids and then we begin to build them out even more as adults. But it's our way of coping with the world that we live in. But it's our way of coping with the world we live in without relying on God. You know, some Christians will talk about it in terms of like the true self is who we are in the spirit and the false self is who we are in the flesh. Right. Um, And so it's this idea that inside of us, both of these pieces exist. These Both of these realities exist. Yeah, there's a um, war going on inside of us. Yeah, the Apostle Paul talked about yeah. it all the time, right? Mm-hmm. And so, uh, so what happens is that both these things come together and they live inside of us. There's the true self and the false self, and that becomes our expressed self. That is what the world experiences. If you take the true self inside of me, the false self inside of me, you throw them in a blender and you let the blender run all the time, yeah. that is who I am. That is what the world is experiencing. Yeah, and I think a lot of times our own ways that we're perceiving others, we either think that that's they're, all they are is their false self. All we're experiencing is just the negative. We can kind of harp on the worst things about somebody, or we can idealize them and think, oh, they're just so perfect. Nothing's wrong with them. Yeah, there is. There is that there, you know, but the sin is present. And so the question becomes, you know, what is it that distorts our soul? And we love what our friends at Crosspoint say about this. So they, they talk about that basically there are five factors that come in and distort our soul. Our family of origin is one of those factors, you know, depending on the family that we're born into, the parents that we had or the lack of parents that we had, um, the siblings that we had, the dynamics of the family that we were born into, um, the fall of Adam, you know, the the concept of original yeah, that's like sin. strike one against all of us from the onset. Right. Yeah. We're, we're, none of us were born with the odds stacked in our favor because of the fall. Yeah. Uh, life circumstances. You know, sometimes people are doing pretty well and they're pretty healthy. And then, you know, just life circumstances happen. Tragic events happen. Things are done against them or they do something against somebody else. Mm -hmm. And suddenly their whole life, their whole world is rearranged as a result of it. Yeah. So life circumstances are what happens to us. But we also, Crosspoint has made a good point that also what distorts our soul are our own personal choices. And so we have to take into account the decisions we've made and the actions that we've taken. And, And those stay with us. They impact our personality. They impact our life story. They impact who we become. 
Yeah. And then finally, just physical factors. There's just reality that I'm born with a particular set of DNA, with a particular set of biology. And sometimes that biology and that DNA works in my favor, but sometimes it, it doesn't. And sometimes, you know, I am have born with a propensity to do certain things and behave in certain ways that are less than healthy and less than vibrant. When we say physical factors, we don't necessarily even mean physical limitations, but there is a reality that we live in. We have a body and that body is a certain certain gender, it's a certain ethnicity, and that impacts how the world sees us and how we see the world and how we're treated and and what happens as a result of those realities. Yeah. And so I think it's important that we begin to think of sin in a bigger and broader way than just moral. It's not just an issue of it being morally right and morally wrong, but that we have to almost see sin as sort of this cancerous presence that Mm -hmm. comes in and begins just to harm us as people. Sometimes it's sin because, yes, we have moral failings, but a lot of times it is just the presence of distortion and fallenness in the world that we occupy. Yeah, I think a lot of times we accuse and punish sinful behavior, but really there's so many other factors at play and the behavior is really just a symptom of a greater issue that's present. So every personality type that we go through has a deadly sin that they struggle with. But the truth is that uh, deadly sin comes from somewhere. So where the heck does my deadly sin come from? Well, for all of us, it's going to be from the same source, and that is from our fear and our guilt and our shame. And that that is straight up out of the first chapters of Scripture. You know, we see Adam and Eve fall, and what happens? We've got Eve uh, feeling guilty, so she is blaming the serpent. Right. You know, they feel shame, so they clothe they, themselves. They cover themselves. They're afraid, so they hide from God. You know, that fear, that guilt, that shame, sadly, it's still, it just echoes in our hearts and we carry it forward every day. And that is what Christ has come to set us free from. But sin, sin is not content to let us just lean into our gifts. Sin is a parasite. It wants to come in and it wants to distort these gifts. So, Sam, t- tell me a little bit about that. Yeah. So we uh, believe because of the work that Crosspoint's done that sin is parasitic in nature, which means it can't exist on its own and it must attach itself to a life force and either stifle the life out of that or blow it way out of proportion. And so each of us have a different gift from God and sin comes into play and either diminishes that particular gift or it exaggerates it and makes that gift be used in ways that it wasn't intended to be used for. So either our, we have aspects of our personality that are lacking, mm-hmm. so there are areas of our life where we literally just drop gifts, we stop using them, or there are areas of our life where we have these gifts, but we rely way too much on them. And so as a result of that, we end up with these sort of lopsided uh, souls where we are not uh, whole and full as Christ intended us to be. Yeah, it's really helpful to think of sin in these two different kind of buckets and trajectories because it gives us language to say, oh, like I should be living into that more or wait a second, that is not the time and place to use something like peacemaking or something like creativity. Like I need to hone that in a little bit. And so, you know, a lot of Christians come to this topic of the Enneagram and some of you guys probably feel great about it. You feel comfortable, but some of you are going like, hold on, this thing kind of looks like a pentagram and seems a little cultish. Where's Jesus in all of this? Well, Let's talk about that for a second. Where is Christ in the Enneagram? You know, the Enneagram, we're going to unpack this more as we go on, but there are basically, there are nine personality traits. And for most of us, we fall pretty hard into one of these. But Christ, Christ held all nine of these traits together. And when he came, Christ 
came to reveal and put to death our false self and reclaim our true self. Many times we as Christians, when we think of what Christ came to do, we think, I shouldn't matter. I don't, I shouldn't even exist. Only Christ should be seen through me. Well, that sounds much more like Buddhist theology than it does Christian theology. So it's important that we understand, like, Christ did not come to erase who we are. He came to set us free. And no parent desires for their child to be a duplicate of who they are. God's desire is that you would be your full and whole and complete self in Christ. And so it's important that when we think of Christ saying that we have to lay down our lives to find it, that is a call to lay down our false self, not our true self. Yeah, he came to give us life and life more abundantly. And that is playing into the true the true nature of what it means to live in Christ through the work of the Holy Spirit, because of the love of the Father, that we're able to live a more fuller version of ourselves. And the Enneagram just gives us a lens, a jumping off point to achieve that. So the truth is this, you know, for the purposes of this podcast and in many shorthand conversations, you're going to hear people say, I'm a blank. And they're going to say a number or they're going to say some word that is denotes a number. But the truth is this, all of us actually have all nine types to greater or lesser degrees. And our goal is to grow increasingly in all nine of these gifts in healthy ways and to relinquish increasingly all nine of the unhealthy aspects of our personality to Christ. So the desire is not for us to over-identify with one individual type at the expense of all the other eight gifts, but the the goal is really for all of us to lean into all nine of these traits and these gifts. So think of your soul like an orchestra. We all have different instruments that are at play. And the Enneagram is just showing us where our instruments are, what are they out of tune, and what instruments are we relying too heavily on when we really should be leaning into other Yeah, and which instruments have we just stopped picking up altogether? The, The reason I love the picture of the orchestra is because there's also this idea that the music becomes increasingly beautiful and more robust the more instruments that participate. Right. It's not just me playing a bass drum over and over again. It's me adding a symphony of a flute and there's a melody and a harmony and and really that's the goal of of life in Christ of healthy life life with greater self-awareness is to live a more full and robust life and so because people are experiencing us holistically they're not experiencing us in a one-dimensional way I experience Jesse's creativity as a four just as much as I experience his lack of presence and other gifts that he may have we're getting at the idea that sometimes we over rely on aspects of our personality so much so that we willingly sacrifice other good gifts and that is just not a life of freedom. Yeah. Or we don't think that we have those gifts at all. They've been so squashed out that we never lean into them. The Enneagram is just a way for us to recognize where we could be leaning into gifts that that we aren't paying attention to and where the gifts that we have been playing a little too much, where have they fallen short? So when we come back from the break, we will be unpacking our 10 rules for the Enneagram. Plus, we'll be digging into the triads for the very first time. Stay with us. Do issues of poverty and injustice make you feel heartbroken, overwhelmed, or confused? Are you like many young adults who see all of these needs happening around the world, but you just don't know where to start? Well, we can help with that. Love Thy Neighborhood is an urban missions agency for young adults impacting social justice issues, both physically and spiritually. We've helped hundreds of young adults just like you do justice and build better Christian community. We partner with over a dozen nonprofits throughout the city that are on the front lines of causes like crisis pregnancy, homelessness, orphan care, refugees, and more. Or perhaps you want to contribute in a way that's a little bit more behind the scenes. 
We also have internship tracks in the areas of nonprofit leadership, as well as media and design and visual arts. So if you're between the ages of 18 and 30, head over to our website at lovethyneighborhood.org. Take a look at all of the different causes where you can make an impact. Choose the ones that you're most passionate about, and we will pair you up with an organization where you will make a real difference in real lives. We offer opportunities for a summer or a year. So again, head over to our website, lovethyneighborhood.org, and apply now. Welcome back to the Enneacast. I'm Jesse Eubanks. And I'm Sam Stevenson. And now, 10 rules for the Enneagram. So our first five rules are mostly for those that are more familiar with the Enneagram. And the second five rules are going to be for everyone. Mm -hmm. Rule number one, don't sound like a crazy cult member. Yeah. Don't talk about numbers all the time. Don't peg your friends. Yeah, It's weird. (laughs) Yeah. Like it's freaking people out. It makes other people just feel stupid. It makes them feel like outsiders. Like read the room. Like we're talking, we're not talking to everybody here. We're talking to the people who have been in the Enneagram world for a long time and who think that they have read enough about the material. Sure. But like there's a time and place to, to utilize the Enneagram and that's probably not the time. Yeah. You're already going to get accused of sounding like a cult member because it's called the Enneagram, which sounds like pentagram. Like, don't make it worse on the rest of us. So, yeah. Next. Don't sound like a cult member. (laughs) All right. Number two, don't weaponize the Enneagram. Don't use the Enneagram as an excuse for your non-resourceful behavior. Uh, That's a nice way of saying, like, don't use the Enneagram to act like a punk. Right. Like, Uh, Yeah. If you're acting like a jerk, don't go, well, that's just because I'm a blank. Yeah, you are a blank. Don't act like (laughs) that and then blame it on the Enneagram. So another maybe nicer way to say it is the Enneagram is supposed to reveal our non-resourceful tendencies, our shortcomings. And knowing that is not the stopping point, it's the starting point. And so if you're just using it, well, I'm just such a this, you have to deal with it. No, wrong. Yeah, we don't want to use it to manipulate other people or to put them in a box. And we don't want to rush to conclusions about their type or your own type. Don't assume that we always know what is going on. And uh, just to clarify, when I said you are a blank, I was referring to your number. That got a little risky. Number three, don't oversimplify it. Remember, our souls are a symphony, not like a elementary school percussion class. Yeah, we are just we're complicated, complex people. And the Enneagram, it is a complex tool. Every person is different, including those with the same core type. You can put two different people that have the same core type next to each other. Guess what? They're entirely different people with entirely different personalities. Yeah, their core types may be the same, but every other score that's present within them may be different and they may experience life as such. And to diminish them or to reduce them down to one number is just oversimplifying. It's reductionistic and it's hurtful. It does more harm than good. Yeah, the Enneagram isn't to put you in a box. It's to let you out of the box. Number four, it's not God and it's not scripture. It's a tool and it's nothing more than a tool. God is the one who saves. Scripture is the one that brings ultimate eternal truth. Yeah, this is just a tool. This is something that human beings are like, hey, I observe these things. I put some ideas together. Hey, this seems to be on an observatory level pretty helpful. And we agree. But it's literally just a tool. Self-clarity, it's good for communion with God because if you aren't using it for communion with God, It just turns into narcissism. Dang. And nobody wants to be a narcissist. Yeah, it's supposed to drive you toward more authentic, truthful relationships. And if it's not spurring you into more vulnerability and more authenticity, then you've probably gotten it wrong somewhere along the way. God is still the one who transforms and not the Enneagram. Uh, Number five, it's not perfect. 
again, it's just something that some people made up and it's pretty great, but it's not perfect. It's not Jesus, you know, written down into a weird looking the, aren't the new Ten Commandments. Like we read somewhere that all tools are wrong, but some are useful. And that's the same kind of mantra that we want to adopt. Yeah. So use whatever's helpful. But if you don't find it particularly helpful, eh, that's OK. Like I'm not losing sleep at night. You shouldn't either. Just, you know, roll on with it. Yeah, so the last five of these are going to be a little bit more practical. So now we're going to tell you a little bit about what to do when you find out this information. And number six to, is to be honest with yourself. So the Enneagram can really only be helpful to you if you are honest with yourself. I mean, the reality is that all of us, we've got to try to own our resourceful and our non-resourceful traits. Yeah, we say that whatever you disown about yourself, it'll end up owning you. It will come back. You yeah, can't... it's going to catch up with you. You can't just act like it's not a problem. Like if you have cancer, you have cancer. Like it's going to affect you. It's going to impact your life. And along those same lines, just also know this. Sometimes we want to act like our bad things going on inside of us aren't a big deal. The other thing is this. Sometimes there's those of us that want to act like we don't have the gifts that we do. And just remember, disowning our gifts that is not humility. That's self-deprecation. And that's not the same thing. The Lord has given you gifts. Enjoy leaning into those gifts and using those for the benefits of each other and the benefits of the kingdom. Uh, okay. Number seven, you have all nine types inside of you. You are not just your core type. Yes, we're going to talk about it in those terms because that is helpful to see that we most identify with a core type. But the truth is you have all nine of these things to greater or lesser degrees. Yeah. And it's really when you live into them that we experience a, a better version of, of you. And so just remember that you have the capacity to be both a peacemaking person, but also a challenging person, also an advocating person. There's more than just, you're more than just one person and one thing. Number eight, find a community to journey with you. Yeah. Find a community of healthy people who will encourage you toward a healthy life. You need good, healthy, godly people around you to spur you onward and to encourage you in your faith. Yeah, this isn't like a journey to become like a one-man island. Like, that's not how we were made. We were made for community, and we need community to speak into us because, yeah, while we may have all nine types present, we really do kind of lean in one or the other, so we need the people around us to balance us out, to show us the truer versions of ourselves, and to really to help us live into the gifts that we may not be living into. And the other truth is just this, is that our community brings out particular aspects of our gifts that would otherwise be unused or disowned. I mean, there is just truth to when we're around some people, we're a little funnier than usual, or we're a little more lighthearted than usual, or we're a little more proactive, or we uh, are a little more prophetic and justice-minded. When we're around different people, different aspects of our personality are brought to life. We just need community around us. Number nine, let God hold your story and your complexity. The truth is just we are, we are super complicated people and our stories are complicated and our personalities are complicated. And we can look at the Enneagram stuff all day long. We can stare at our scores as much as we want to. But the truth is we will never get to the bottom of ourselves. But God, God is not shocked by anything that is revealed to us as we go on this journey. Let him hold that stuff. Yeah. The point of the Enneagram, the point of self-awareness and self-clarity is not to become a more informed version of ourselves. It's to look more like Christ. And so to let God be the one that's holding our story to hold our struggles, he's the one that's going to sanctify us and transform us into a fuller version of ourselves in Christ. All right. Last one. Number 10. It will get worse before it gets better. Self-awareness, it's going to leave you feeling exposed. It's going to make you feel sometimes ashamed or even resistance toward the things that are being revealed to you. And we want to give you one piece of advice. Keep going. 
Right. Self-awareness, that's the starting off point. It's not the end goal. So when you when I heard about the Enneagram for the first time and really kind of stepped into to my own self, it was hard. It was an emotional journey just to kind of reckon with the uglier parts of myself that I thought would just go away in time. But really, it's to be intentional about making the most of the self-awareness journey now instead of putting that off until later. But if I had just checked out of the game, then I would still be living in that really unhealthy space that the Enneagram found me. Yeah, because the truth is that there are. There are just things that we're going to come across in the course of our journey that we just would rather not be true. Right. And uh, we're going to have to grieve those things and we're going to have to feel sorrow and sadness over those things. But the good news is that we don't stay there. And it does. It gets better. Mm -hmm. So keep going. Yeah, the sooner that we can see our own gifts and our own lack of gifts, the sooner we can to live into the right direction and and maybe grieve the losses of what we've been trying to do for so long that aren't working. Well, those are our 10 rules for the Enneagram. So with that being said, let's dig into the triads. So let's take a second and talk about the triads of the Enneagram. You know, before we get into the nine personality types, it's important that we understand the three triads of the Enneagram. And those are the heart triad, the head triad, and the gut triad. Yeah. So all nine styles can fall into one of these three categories. It's just a category system that whoever came up with the Enneagram eventually added these in. Right. And it's not to say that folks in one triad don't possess anything in the other triads. You know, we're not saying that somebody that has a lot of heart, you know, never uses their mind or never uses their street smart instincts. Right. What we're saying is this. We're saying if you imagine that there are three layers to a person, that outermost layer that they're processing their experience with is determined by the triad that they're in. So with that being said, let's talk a little bit about the heart triad. These folks, they perceive life in terms of connections to be made. They're highly social people. Um, They love engaging relationships in life. And in fact, they see everything through the lens of the relationships and the connections in their life. Yeah, or the relational consequences in their life. So not only nothing ever happens to someone in the heart triad just entered independently. It's always interdependent. What, yeah. How does this what are the stakes here? What does this mean for, you know, so and so that I'm trying to impress or so and so that hurt my feelings or so and so that I'm married to? It's just it's all relational. It's all the relational stakes are much higher for those in the heart triad. The way that these folks process, you know, they're in the heart triad. So they are processing first and foremost with their feelings. But the truth is this, is that feelings, feelings are sometimes reliable, sometimes they're not. And what we also know is this, sometimes feelings can be really big and overwhelming. Uh, These folks present themselves, as we've said, as just intensely relational. And the other thing too, is that a lot of times folks in the heart triad are really great about adapting to the the climate that they're in, the people that they're talking to, according to what they perceive others want and need of them. And so that's how they perceive. That's how they process. That's how they present. So talk to me a little bit, Sam, about what forces are at work in the heart triad. Right. So in order to engage their social network, they first must have a sense of self. The question that those in the heart triad are struggling with is this question of identity. Who am I? What does this mean for me? How does this relate to other people that I know? So they really do kind of question, they reckon with their identity a lot and and really just knowing their purpose. And because of their quest for understanding their identity, that can often, often leave them with a sense of feeling shame. And when the false self is at play, those in the heart triad 
I'd experience an acute sense of shame, which is the idea that I am defective, that something about my core of my being is wrong. It's not that I did something wrong, but something about me is missing. It's incomplete. Yeah, I it's, lack it's a off. quality yeah. that the rest of the world kind of has figured out. The, there's something that was just, you know, I, I got left on the island of misfit toys. Like mm-hmm. something's kind of wrong with me. So, yeah, the head triad, they perceive they see the world in terms of finding a safe place and a safe way forward. So that comes out a little bit differently depending on the individual type, whether you're five, six or seven, that's going to manifest itself. You're going to long for the safe and best way. Yeah, these folks are they're organizers, you know, they're they're taking in the world around them and they're organizing the details and the data of the experience or the information or the surroundings that they're having. Mm -hmm. Uh, But these folks have really, really robust minds. Yeah, they process the world through their minds. And because of that, they can become out of touch with their bodies and their emotions as well. Yeah, because, you know, they're they're thinkers. Understandably so. Right. Yeah. And so when a lot of these folks, you know, when you're talking with them, like they kind of escape up and into their mind. And so sometimes, you know, their their face will kind of like check out for a little bit because they've they've diverted all resources to their brain. They're they're thinking. thinking Yeah, they're thinking through something. But when you experience them, they present themselves as stable and having it all figured out. And so we really trust those in the head triad. We go to them when we have a question. They have the answer to them because they just they seem to have it all figured out. Yeah, because they weigh so many different factors in the course of their decisions that, uh, you know, a lot of us just make decisions kind of haphazardly or quickly, or we're, I just feel this to be true, or we just kind of shoot from the hip. These folks don't tend to be that way. They tend to be pretty thoughtful and meticulous people because they're synthesizing all the data around them. So let's talk a little bit about the forces that are at work in the head triad. You know, their existential question is, where am I? Where am I in relationship to truth? Where am I in relationship to abundance, in relationship to safety, in relationship to goodness. But they really experience life in terms of there is a place that if I could just get there Mm -hmm. would be safer, would be more healthy, would be more fun, would be more enjoyable. Yeah, there's always a sense of more for those in the head triad, more more time to think through things, more safety, more contingency plans, more what if scenarios I need to think through or more, you know, vacations I need to have, more things I can spend my time doing and spend my money doing. There's a sense of there's a spatial uh, way that they relate to the world in which it's it's out there somewhere. Yeah, I don't have it within me. I have to go get it. And one day I'll get it. Yeah. And it's and oftentimes it's driven by their underlying emotion, which is fear, fear of not having enough, fear of making the wrong decisions, fear of life hurting them or mm-hmm. harming them. It's not trusting the resources they have available to them. There's always more that they need before there's a sense of peace that can kick in. Yeah. So this stuff is happening, you know, at a subconscious level and oftentimes just driving them, you know, to always feel like uh, as soon as they arrive somewhere, it, it's moved again. And now they need to get to the next space. So let's talk a little bit about the gut triad. The gut triad, these folks are like our epic folks, you know, like Thank you. I, I always think of these people in terms of like, these are like, I don't know, man, you guys are just Does it like, just feel mysterious to you that it's not I, head or heart? Well, because yeah, it's not head. It's not heart. You guys shoot from like this, like mysterious sixth sense kind of place inside of you all, you know, the way that these folks perceive life is, you know, they see life as a struggle that is coming against them and that they've got to fight in order to accomplish goals. But as a result of that, these folks tend to hold their ground rather than adapt. Adaptability can be pretty challenging at times for folks in the gut triad. Yeah, because we sense 
the world and our relationships in such a different way, it's really hard for us to adapt. We may not process through purely intellectual or purely emotion. It's always some sort of intuitive, like this thing that we can't always explain. It's always kind of out of reach in some way, or it's really clear depending on which side of the triad that you fall into, but it's really out of a place of deep instinct and not something that can be articulated all the time. Yeah. So the way that they process, they process their world through sort of the sixth sense that I've been talking about. And they have really, really deep instincts. And one of the things that's kind of fascinating about folks in the gut triad is that they almost experience their life through their bodies. Their body language is almost some of the most overt in all of the nine personality types. It, they, You can read so much about what folks in the gut triad are feeling or thinking or experiencing through what their body is saying. Yeah, I will say, I'll give a spoiler alert. I'm in the gut triad. And the first time that we went through this, I remember like my body reacted before I did. Like, And it was incredible because I had no, I did not know that about myself. I don't know that anybody does until you tell them like, hey, you think your body language, you know, whatever. So I just remember when you when you said that, that was very transformative for me because I was able to look down and say like, oh, you're right. Like, I'm clearly upset because my arms are crossed. I'm fidgeting. I'm, you know, tapping my foot and pacing back and forth. Like, yeah, their it's bodies, insane how. Yeah, yeah, their bodies know before their minds or their emotions know. But subsequently, our relationships may also know before we do because of the body because language. Read your body yeah, language. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah totally. <laughs> so these folks, they present themselves as grounded in the moment just because the energy of their instincts is just felt so deeply and profoundly. And so they tend to be very, very present with people. They are very uh, much with you when they are with you. And sometimes that also means that when they move on to the next thing, they're very present to that thing, but may not be as present to the previous thing, which might be you as well. Right. So that actually plays into our underlying emotion, which is guilt. And so it's the idea that we did something wrong. And so relationally, we feel a sense of guilt because, oh, I wasn't present to that person or I did something wrong or I didn't do that thing. And it could be guilt by action or guilt or by lack action. of action. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So because we're very action oriented, like you're saying, Jesse, when we when we're with you, we're really with you. And so we want to make sure we do it all right. There's a sense of guilt that kicks in when we go back and think about it later and realize that something fell short and we dropped the ball in some way. Yeah. So what's the existential question you guys are always asking? How am I doing? Am I doing okay? How is everybody else doing in relation to me? But yeah, it's always about it's not even like a performance based so much as it is like, am I keeping up? Am I am, am I doing the right things? Am I doing enough of this thing? So a lot of times when we talk about the gospel, we tend to, I think, center a lot of it around stuff that's going on in the gut triad. We tend to center it around what happened on the cross and substitutionary atonement mm-hmm. and forgiveness of sins. It's all justice, like yeah. action-oriented. Jesus died, you are made right with God, and that's the end of the story. And it's true. Right, and that right. is absolutely beautiful and true. But we tend to leave out the other components of the gospel. And as it relates to our conversations about the Enneagram, God responds to our guilt with his forgiveness. He responds to our fear. So those that are in the head triad responds to our fear with his presence. Because when God is present with us, it gives us courage to do things that scare us. Yeah. And it gives us a sense of trust that what we already have with us is enough. There's not whatever we're looking for isn't out there. It's already with us. So we don't need to keep longing for more information, more safety, more stuff. It's already like my presence is with you. It is okay. You are safe here. I have made a refuge for you. Yeah. And then I believe that God responds to our shame with his delight. And that is the Mm -hmm. idea of God 
uh, singing over us as a parent sings over a newborn, the idea of God looking at his children and saying, I am well pleased with you. Uh, it is God doting on his kids. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with you. Remember, those in the heart triad really think there was something about them that's missing or that's incorrect or defective. But for the Lord to speak into that and say, hey, I love you just the way you are, that's really that's really powerful. And so one of my hopes through the course of the Enneacast is that we can unpack the gospel in a way that really emphasizes the beauty of God's forgiveness, the beauty of God's presence, and the beauty of God's delight, and how these three things come together to give us a more robust good news for the world and that the Lord is offering to us. So if you are hearing all of this for the first time, all of this Enneagram talk, and you're just wondering, you know, where do I even begin? We want to give two different suggestions for you. The first one is if you are between the ages of 18 and 30, come serve with Love Thy Neighborhood. If you come and do our year program, you're going to go through three separate Enneagram workshops. Yeah, and we're going to do retreats where we're going to talk about family of origin. We're going to talk about your desires because we believe that you need community to journey through self-clarity with. Self-awareness can't happen on its own. You need people around you and Love the Neighborhood will provide you that community alongside other brothers and sisters who are, who are like me and like you trying to figure themselves out in light of the world and the light of the gospel. The second thing that we want to suggest is this. Head over to our website lovethyneighborhood.org podcast and we have a new FAQ section on there where we're going to answer questions like how do I take the Enneagram? How do I read my scores? Uh, things like how can I map my life story? We have a great tool to help you map out all of the major turning points of your life. Uh, what outside resources do you recommend on the Enneagram? We're going to send you there. So uh, so head over to lovethatneighborhood.org slash podcast. Thank you for joining us for our first episode of the Enneacast. We are so thankful for your presence and are excited to go on this journey with you. Also, thank you to Crosspoint Ministry that trained us in the Enneagram. And as I said earlier in the episode, they just do amazing work. To learn more about Crosspoint or to attend one of their wonderful retreats, visit crosspointministry.com. Our show is a production of Love Thy Neighborhood. Love Thy Neighborhood provides social action internships supported by Christian community for young adults ages 18 to 30. Serve for a summer or a year. Grow in your faith and life skills. Learn more at lovetheneighborhood.org. Today's episode was produced by myself and Sam Stevenson. Engineering and editing by Janelle Dawkins with Justice Smith. Music for today's episode comes from Murphy DX. I'm Sam Stevenson. And I'm Jesse Eubanks. Remember, the eye can see everything but itself. Find people to journey with you because you were created for community.